first of all, this project began with Brian Cranston. Did you get the call from Brian Cranston? How did you guys all get involved? I got the call from him. <laughs> I got a call from him. <laughs> uh, I got a call from Simon. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't involved at all. Exactly. I don't know. I got know. the call from Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack, you, that, as I understand, the brief for uh, um, Dreams was to pick a story from yes. Philip K. Dick's canon. How did, why and how did you choose this one? Uh, so my granddad uh, worked on the railways all his life, and um, I, I um, and um, his. Uh, it is weird. It's weird how you kind of come to these things. But um, uh, this story was about the the original story is about a uh, guy who works in a railway station who is told about an ideal town, one of these towns, one of these new towns like Milton Keynes in Telford, um, uh, that uh, hasn't um, that didn't that doesn't exist, um, and uh, he goes there and his life begins to change at home as well as in that place. Um, and uh, I really liked that idea, and it made me think about my uh, granddad, who was a, a ticket clerk at Euston, and whose son was a paranoid schizophrenic, and who ended up quite seriously depressed, uh, and never really found a way, and I don't know whether it was my uncle or what, what it was about him, but the, the, I, I think probably he ruined his life, uh, that he couldn't cope with having that, uh, my uncle for his son. Um, and so when I was thinking about uh, that idea, and he's someone also for whom I think the, like his ideal wouldn't be Desert islands and you know what I mean, like you know, and coconut juice. It would be, it would be um, a, a really pretty nice town that he could walk through and where everyone was nice and uh, and everyone was gentle with each other. I, I think that would be what my uh, what Stan would have liked best. And so it was just sort of thinking about that and then thinking about uh, the idea of removing things from your life and whether that would make your life better and. I don't know whether, uh, I mean, I'm interested to know whether people feel like he made the right choice, actually, because I think there is a logic to what she offers. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and so, yeah, yeah, that was sort of the starting point. Sorry, I said a That's lot then. Yeah. <laughs> Who thinks he made the right choice? Hands up if you think he made the right choice. Who thinks he made the wrong choice? Well, yeah, all right. Overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. Did, so you, in a sense, you're giving your grandfather a different ending to his life to, to a degree, and then he chooses to go back. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. That was the sort of, that was the sort of uh, starting point, and then you work on the script and, you know, try and find the truth for the characters rather than, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. Tom, you... I was actually on set for one day of filming, and what's remarkable about the location is that you probably you didn't have to change that much about it it's kind of a very weird place pound for yeah no we we did nothing to it i don't i think we did lots of lots of other places but but very little Poundbury because it's this you know it's been built very recently and it's a sort of has a very artificial feel it's um for those who don't know it's um one of the the prince charles's um um 
built by the, by, the, by 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 his trust, and it's um and it's all and it's sort of it is an ideal town. It's built you know built to spec um on a set of plans rather than having emerged over time. So it does have this sort of strange feel, but it is sort of yeah it's it's odd, and I think that it will get less strange as it as it matures. But it does at the moment have this sort of very weird. It has those quality. house fronts, doesn't it, without the houses behind it. No, no, it doesn't. No. Oh right, I thought that was no, all right. <laughs> cool. what, what attracted you to the project? They are still building it though, so it's not like there are bits of it that look a bit like that. Awesome. What, what was what, what appealed about it? Apart from the uh, what appealed about the script apart, apart from working with Jack, obviously. Um, uh, it was just sort of the, the, the fact that it was a study of um, of 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 something incredibly difficult in your life where there's no real answers to it and, and and sort of one man's breakdown and to look at that and to and to explore it, I suppose. It felt like a really um, really power you know, what I what, what really appealed to, to me about it, and I'm not a massive sci fi fan, um, I, I don't suppose um, but what really got to me about it was that it was sort of sci-fi through the prism of one man's experience. Um, and I'm sure that's true of all good stories, all good sci-fi, you know, it was when it becomes personal. But that really, I really felt that with this. It felt really emotional. It wasn't just, um, um, you know, and actually uh, the, 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 the original short story is fascinating and it's, um, and, it's, and it's clever and it makes you think and it's, it does all sorts of things, but it doesn't have a sort of an emotional... Well, maybe it does. I mean, it does, but not in the same way. It's not so kind of... Um, it's not such a rich character study, certainly, um, and, and it was that sort of that human, human story that really appealed to me to me about it, and just you know how how you would fight for the love of your son despite the costs, and that that for better or for worse. Your character doesn't quite exist in the original short story. It's a guy. It's a very different person, I think. Yes, a short man with glasses, <laughs> who Jack turned into a woman. Uh, very fortunately for me. Um, yeah, so I felt like I had quite a lot of creative freedom with it, I suppose. There wasn't anything that I was basing it on particularly. But we talked quite a lot about uh, Linda before we started in that we didn't want to make her either kind of angel or devil. She was kind of this fairy godmother figure, but it's kind of up to you as the audience when you're watching if you feel like she's doing something that, well, she feels she's doing something for the better, to, to better people's lives. But I think it's kind of debatable whether she's doing something morally right. But she's offering a service which has benefited her and which she feels will make other people's lives better. And, yeah, in that sense, she, she felt like this person who existed not really in either make on heights or reality. She was the one person who kind of straddled both worlds, and that was quite good fun to play. I mean, when we were talking about costume with Ed, the costume designer, it's very brilliant. He kind of put together this look that was quite otherworldly. Like, it, it's something about her looks a bit off in the real world, but she can also go quite unnoticed, and I think that was sort of something that was really fun to play with. And are you, are you a Philip K. Dick or science fiction fan, Petit? Um, I actually hadn't read any of his short stories uh, before doing The Commuter. I'd read the book that Blade Runner was based on, The Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, and I loved Blade Runner when I was growing up. But that was really my only experience of him. Um, and I didn't want to kind of read the entire back catalogue of his short stories before we did this. I just wanted to concentrate on The Commuter. Um, but what I really like about 
this story, I mean, I obviously haven't seen the rest in the series, in the anthology series, but I just, I, I love sci-fi that's really rooted in reality, and it feels like something extraordinary happens in a very ordinary world, and I think there's such a huge spectrum with sci-fi that can be kind of otherworldly, outer space, different planet, aliens, or there's just something very, very ordinary with something slightly strange going on, and that's the sci-fi that interests me the most, and that's why I was kind of excited to do this. Anthony, how, I mean, I don't know if the character is paranoid schizophrenic or what. Did you mm. have to research any of the... Well, yeah, we spoke a lot to um, uh, a counsellor and a guy who dealt with kids who were, um, uh, had sort of psychotic uh, issues going on, and we spoke a lot about how they um, uh, behaved and, and dressed and again, with the costume with a lot of the, the hats and stuff and keeping the head low and about the body language um, was really, really useful to have the counsellors to speak to. Is it difficult to play someone who's in an altered state? Well, I think so. But it was just amazing to work with Tom and Jack, you know, because just, they just guided me through it, really, uh, which was just an absolute joy. But it was a bit difficult at times, but Tim was like a, a big grandfather on set. <laughs> Maybe I should say dad. He was like dad, dad. on set. And he was the really lovely. Dad. He was, you know... Brilliant, so if it ever got a bit much, he was there for a cuddle. Yeah. Actually, for both of you, what was it like working with Timothy Spaller? The, the legend. National oh, well, all of you, I suppose, really. He's just so a boy. He's just so cool. He's really, really, really silly. <laughs> like, in between takes, he was really cracking me up. He's got a very weird sense of humour. And so he kind of makes you laugh, and then the camera rolls, and he's, like, instantly very serious and professional. And he'll kind of, like, having to catch up, sort of get over the joke he's just told you and get back into character. But he's very... He's just a pro, he knows what he's doing. He kind of like, big acting lesson watching him. <laughs> Tom, what, you were obviously involved in casting all, all of these, and, and Timothy, what were you looking for in those people? Um, uh, di 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 different things for different, different people, really. Like for, for, for Ed, just someone that really felt of that world, that felt like a, a, normal, a normal person who would exist within that train station, but had the... Uh, but had the kind of the, the charisma and the, the chops to be kind of to lead the show and to, to go on this kind of this big emotional journey. Um, but also, you know, just going back to working with Tim, the other thing that's amazing about him is he's just incredibly meticulous and goes into real detail. And, and, and particularly for something like this, where, you know, you're repeating something essentially three times and the differences are very subtle and the reactions, you know, it goes through the same thing. Like, if those don't stack up, then it makes it very hard to work out what's going on. He was really... Just the research and the depth and the kind of the planning and the uh, and the beats that he kind of charted out, where you know he he he's obviously um, incredibly experienced, makes it look effortless. But it was just to see the amount of work that, that that he brings to it is 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 fabulous as well as the talent. And um, but yeah, but just 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 they were quite you know it was quite. Um, Quite a, a wide brief, and it was like for Linda, it was quite hard to know kind of where to pitch it because um, I didn't want it to be someone that was, you know, like to make the character too much of a femme fatale or too ordinary because she needs to have a bit of both. And and but I, again, we just went straight straight to Tuppence and just I just you know you need someone who's a really good actor. Same same for same for Anthony. Actually, I'd seen him, and in um, in Harry Potter, Jack, Jack had told me that he was like. Like one of the, the best up and coming actors around, and I should really go and check him out. And we had a nice cup of tea, and uh, and then it was a done deal. So. <laughs> we did have a lovely cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and so, Jack, you 
you're, you're writing these huge arcing series, National Treasure, Philip Pullman, and this kind of short anthology style one-off. What, what, what's the difference, and what, which do you prefer, and how did it work out like? Uh, it was, I mean, it's like writing a, sh a, sh uh, a shortish film, uh, and that was the sort of... But it was hard, because there's a lot of story there, and, and you don't want to overtell the audience what's going on, and you don't want to undertell... Uh, and it was always sort of like, because uh, it's a weird, there's so much story in there, and yet it's mostly silent. And so how do you make sure you get enough stuff in there to tell people what's going on? And I hope people understood what was going on. Uh, and I hope it was a challenge to understand what's going on rather than a sort of like, oh, God, is he going to tell us again what's happening? Um, uh, but, you know, it's, it, that balancing act is really, really tough. Like, you know, have you got it yet? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, then we can move on. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and study Ed. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. you know, and spend time with Ed. But, you know, yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so with a lot of those sci-fi writers at that time, but him in particular, you sort of got the option to go off into the sci-fi, presumably, but you made that kind of almost like Tales of the Unexpected in a, in a kind of sense. It didn't, well, to me, it felt like that. Yeah, that it's, it's odd. In America, uh, sci-fi is quite democratic. Here it sometimes seems just sort of for posh people and, uh, uh, and it was kind of, um, uh, you know, an aim to make it about someone that wasn't uh, totally posh and wasn't, you know, and wasn't the quickest, you know, brush in the pot. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, that wasn't someone that, you know, was thinking at a million miles an hour, you know, that was, uh, and, uh, and, and just, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, sci-fi, fantasy, whatever it is, you know, you know, like you know that that thing of just trying to access a character really was the main aim for me, and trying to play homage to the to the great man who I'm a massive fan of. Yeah. Um, so that's my 15 minutes, but I've got a lot more questions. So should we see who has qu the audience has a lot of questions as well. <laughs> um, starting down at the front, maybe with. You, sir, and then you, and then we'll work our way up towards the back and you, sir. There are people along the way prepare your questions. We can move the mics up slowly. Hello, everyone. Uh, Nick Joy from Sci-Fi Bulletin. Uh, I live in Dorset, so I'm just half an hour up the road from Poundbury. And when it was... I've always been suspicious of that place. I'm glad, I'm glad you've proven I was right, because it's something very Stepford Wives about, about it. I've always thought that. Uh, but question for Anthony and uh, Tuppence. Did it make it easier performing in a place like that, where you've got that 360-degree set, rather than in a studio where it just sort of finishes at the end of the flats? Yeah, I think it was... It's such an amazing place. It's mm. kind of... I think what makes it so bizarre is that all the buildings are built as if they're period buildings, but they're new builds, and so it kind of feels like just something isn't right. It doesn't, you can't feel the history kind of coming out of the building. So... It, it does feel like a set, which is... It really helps for those scenes because we're in this sort of unreal world, so it helped feel like you're not kind of doing a, this very hyper-realistic kind of gritty drama because you're in this quite eerie landscape. But it's amazing because the people that we yeah. who very sweetly loaned their house for us to sort of hang out in the day were just plying us with cups of tea and were so kind of <laughs> nice, yeah. so... Um, 
they're so, nice. They were so bizarrely nice. It, they, they, they didn't have, they didn't have a nice mean bone in yeah. their body. But they were they, lovely. They were so cool. They were lovely, but I've never... Only in Poundbury. A little bit. I, I really was. Yeah. A little bit. But they were but, lovely. It turned out to be nice. There was no poison in the tea. They were just amazing. It, was, it really helped to be around these people who just kind of had this amazingly positive outlook and to be in this place that felt kind of... You don't know what it's making you feel and you don't know why you feel slightly uneasy about it because it's so nice so there's no reason not to feel weird but it definitely adds to that slightly but you wouldn't want to live there i don't think so no i'm sure it's very nice to live there <laughs> yeah i'm sure it's like make on heights i don't think there's any drama that goes on in poundbury yeah lovely waitress face in the hotel yeah and I was on the set visit, the cab driver couldn't <laughs> wait to get out. He, was, he picked us up, he was like, I hate this town, I really hate it. I'm going to take the station now, I really don't want to be. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Um, question for, well, two for Jack and Tom. Um, firstly, it's a great classic. It captures Dick in, Kay Dick in a very good way. I think it, it keeps the essence of the story by doing the locale. My first question is obviously, Roland D. Moore is one of the executive producers on it, and he's done some good stuff with Star Trek and Battlestar Galactic Reboot. How much input did he have on it? And also, the second question is also about, as some of the episodes were shot in America and some were shot here, were you all given equal consideration in terms of budgetary and creative constraints? So, yeah, I'm a massive Battlestar fan, so working with mm -hmm. him was, was uh, very exciting. Um, uh, to be honest, you do these notes calls and uh, you get these voices <laughs> and there's like 10 of them. And I think I knew which notes were coming from him, but I wasn't <laughs> entirely sure. So I did talk to him uh, quite a bit and get notes from him, but I couldn't tell you which were the notes that he gave me really, because it was just like, you know, these disembodied voices on the end of the phone. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I got lots of clever notes from lots of clever people over there. Um, I never felt like we were playing second fiddle to the Americans, did you? No. No. <laughs> we have other questions. I know we have a gentleman up there. Anyone else who we can start moving the mic towards? Uh, hi. Um, obviously, the previous big Channel 4 sci-fi anthology series was Black Mirror, which has just won a couple of Emmys and is this huge thing. I mean, did you guys feel any pressure kind of following in similar footsteps? Um, not, not I mean, not really, because I, th I think otherwise you'd never do anything, because there's always a, <laughs> a brilliant show or film or series that's come before it that's all, that, you're, that, that, that there are comparisons to. So I, for me, you just look at the, look at the project you're doing and, and focus on that and try and tell the best story that you can. So I'm um, aware of it, but, but not... Yeah. But, I was determined that it wouldn't be a Black Mirror story, that there's no way that this could fit into the Black Mirror universe. Um, and I'm sure there's some Philip K. Dick stories that could very easily, and I don't know what the rest of the anthology, I haven't seen the rest of the anthology series, so. Uh, um, uh, but it was important to me that this uh, not be something that could ever be seen. You know, uh, Black Mirror is not interested in stuff like this, and so it was kind of important that it wouldn't be, you know? Thank I love you. Black Mirror, by the way. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Else with a question while we all replete. Okay. There. Madam. Oh. 
Why did you say that science fiction was only for posh people? No, 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 no. I was saying science fiction, fiction feels like it's only for posh people in this country. It feels like the characters involved in science fiction here, um, you know, that there's not many people who you would consider of working class backgrounds that get involved in sci-fi, or at least that's what it feels like here sometimes. Uh, and maybe it's because the, the sci-fi villains, uh, you know, the Brits tend to be the sci-fi villains and they're always played by posh people. I don't know, but <laughs> it, was just like, it was just like that thing of just going, I wanted it to be about a guy who works on the railways, you know, rather than someone that, uh, you know, uh, um, could be played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and again, I love Benedict Cumberbatch, but do you know what I mean? Like, you know, but just it felt like, you know, that was, that was you know, yeah, something we could do with this. Um, and you know, when you're aware that this show is going to be transnational, um, uh, you want to tell a story about Britain that's very specific, or I think you do, and I wanted to show a side of Britain that maybe America wasn't aware of, um, and Woking felt like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, no, yeah, yeah. Um, Jack, I always think of your work as, as being very sort of realistic, but you're moving a lot more into that fantasy... That's a fantasy sci-fi area, the things like um, Philip Pullman and things like Harry Potter and so forth. Is there, why, not, why is my that? First, my second TV show was The Fate, that was a sci-fi show. It's just it got cancelled. <laughs> so I would have done a lot more sci-fi if they hadn't cancelled it. <laughs> okay. you know, yeah. So it's not, it's not a big change or a big shift for you? No, 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 no. I've always been a nerd. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Do we have any other questions for our panel? Oh, we've only got time for about one more anyway, so I can ask it. Okay, so what do you all think the message of this program is? What, what, what are you all trying to do in your own individual ways, rather than to agree? What, what did you get out of it? I suppose. What, what's it about? Jack? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. I just wanted to make, I just wanted to be a cool TV show. To be really honest, I just, I'm a massive fan of Jack's work. I'm a massive fan of Tom's work. I just thought oh, this is really cool. I love the script. I love the story. I just thought it was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Jack and I obviously spoke a lot about it, and we, I think we maybe even have slightly different uh, ideas about what Ed should do at the end or what happens or what the out outcome is, and, you know, that's, and what I really hope is that it's not too... You know, that people will take different, different things away for, from it, but for me, he makes the right choice, and, I, and, and it's just that... The, and, I, and I, I just love studying that, that, that character and, and finding out, you know, it's not really about right or wrong, it's about truth and lies for me and, and, and the fact that he goes in pursuit of truth. Um, and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an optimist and, and the love of his son for me, that, that it, but in a really complicated, difficult, not straightforward way, I just found very appealing and, and just really enjoyed exploring. Well, I think, to me, it seems like a lot of Philip K. Dick's stories are about humanity and what it means to be human. And in, in a story like this, where it feels, in, on paper, very rooted in reality, I think it's interesting to look at it from another perspective and think what what is the reality and what's the constructed reality? Is, it, is Make on Heights constructed because it's so um, unreal and ideal? Or is that because he can be as 
a, a kind of pure version of himself and he can be happy? Is that what reality is? Or is him being dishonest to himself and being unhappy in his real life? Is that is that the real world? I mean, I, I think that's kind of, to me, what always interested was interesting about his writing is it's sort of asking you what it means to be human and do we need, is pain essential to, for, for us to appreciate the other amazing things in our life? There's a line you have about him not used to be, not used to be being happy, which actually, yeah. I mean, I, this could say more about me than it does about anyone else, but it felt either very much about me or about being British. I'm not sure. Yeah, what yeah, yeah. So, what, and Jack, what do you... I think I've said, really, but, um, yeah, uh, that, um, yeah, uh, I, I think it's, it's about, uh, for me, someone who has at the back of his head uh, an ideal, a better reality than the reality he lives in, and what it's like to live that with the, at the back of your head, and then what it means for that to become a reality for them, and, uh, and the, 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 the sort of the... Uh, I've just become a parent, and it's sort of about, you know, the horrors of that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and the horrors of... Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the, you know yeah. I, I, yeah. But that's we, I mean, we all have that, don't we? We all have alternate realities in our mind where we could be better or, or, or stronger or different or yeah. these alter, alternate realities. But if you could enact them, what the, what's the cost? Yeah. yeah. Mm. And that's a good point to end on. So, Bafta, <laughs> if you would care to join me in thanking our esteemed panel. Matthew Boyle, <laughs> Jack Green, Tom Harper and Tom Philippe.